Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for another day in this place that you've given us to come and meet together, your children, to worship you and to grow closer to you through your word. Thank you for allowing this message to take root and bear fruit in our lives and to set the captives free, all who will hear it either now or in the future, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been talking about faith, all the different aspects of faith, looking at it from uh, sort of a 4D perspective, I guess you would say, just all around, inside and out, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I hope that it's helping, it's helping me just to revisit some of these things and to to talk about them and to meditate them on, uh, meditate on them throughout the week. Matter of fact, they've been blessing me so much that I just, every time I'm talking to somebody, it seems like it's pertinent to their situation and I just start sharing, you know, especially how to put your faith to work and don't let it rest until it's accomplished what you've sent it to do. You know, that's a, that's a, an amazing word right there that we received, how Jesus gave the parable about the servant and how we correlated that to our faith. I want to continue to dig in today, and I want to just read from Mark chapter 10, this this story about blind Bartimaeus, familiar story, and we'll look at it again today, starting in the 46th verse, I'm going to begin reading. And they came to Jericho, this is Jesus and his disciples, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples... And a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Praise the Lord. I love this story about Bartimaeus. There's so many beautiful things about this passage of Scripture. A day in the life of our Lord Jesus. You know, Bartimaeus, he he heard about Jesus. And that day... You know, being a beggar was what you did for a living. If he was blind, he had no other means of making a living. And, you know, you even had a special, uh, you were you were marked. You know, the cloak that he threw aside was marked to let people know that he was handicapped, that he was a beggar. And that's how he received his living, was asking for money. Knowing that Jesus and the disciples and a great crowd was coming through his small village. 
he could have seen that as a great opportunity to make a lot of money that day, couldn't he? I mean, this stands to reason, the, the percentages, <laughs> you know, a day when just the normal people come by or a day when a huge crowd is coming through town, uh, if he would have continued to beg, he would have definitely received more money. But he made up his mind that day to go from beggar to believer. And that's, a, that's important. It was a, a marked occasion in his life. He had heard about the Lord. And he heard that, that he was healing people. And he, he showed that he believed by doing what he did. And he showed that he believed that he was the son of God by calling him son of David. That let him know that he believed he was the Messiah. You know, there were a lot of people there that, in a very religious setting, you can think of some, you know, religious people. There were people that were embarrassed by his outburst. They tried to get him to be quiet, didn't they? But Bartimaeus wasn't having any of that. He didn't care if he was humiliated. He had already made up his mind. And I think that's an important thing in the life of a believer if they really expect to receive from God is to not let others influence them negatively regarding the things of God. Because there's a saying that if the, if the entire herd is running for the edge of the cliff, the one who's heading the opposite direction might look foolish at the time. But the truth is they were the only smart one in the bunch. <laughs> we need to do like Bartimaeus did, make up our mind and don't settle for anything other than what God's best is, what his promises are. We, we know so much more than Bartimaeus did. Bartimaeus was hoping he believed that God could. He probably didn't know if he would or not. Because he did it for Bartimaeus, we don't have to ask anymore if he will. We know he's willing. The same reason we know he's willing is because he healed the, the leper who asked if he was willing. And he said yes to him. We know because of God's promises and his precious word that God is no respecter of persons. If he did it for one, he'll do it for me. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we need to take some lessons from Bartimaeus. Another one I say is, is to prepare ourselves, prepare our minds, prepare our hearts, prepare our lives for success with God. Shut all the other doors of retreat. I tell people in marriage, part of my wedding vows, you guys know, is that there are no secrets, no locked drawers or doors or hidden agendas or bank accounts in a successful marriage. Only trust. And a lot of that I see people when I begin talking to people about marriage, which is definitely if you're a minister going to be one of the main things that you minister to people about because it's hard. Marriage is hard and the devil surely hates it because it's a picture of Christ in the church and, and he wants to destroy it. 
And you see how actively he's pursuing doing that very thing even in our nation. But he won't win. We know the end of the story. We win. Amen? Amen. But I tell people, hey, you know, I can tell by talking to you that you've still got, you've still got uh, options on the table, you know. And until you get rid of all those options and get all in with God, he, you're not going to see his best manifest. Because you're trying to do it in your own strength, you're calculating, you're doing all these things. And God says it's for life, one, one man, one woman, one life. And until you buy into that and begin to give all, and to try to outgive and outlove the other one and to make them succeed in life, you know, you're not going to experience everything that God has. And, and when the people that believe me and receive it do better. <laughs> there's a 100% success rate with God, even though in the church as a whole, there's a 50% success rate just like in the world. That's because just like that old movie I told you, Ivanhoe, it says, for every, every Jew or Muslim who isn't a Christian, I'll show you a Christian who isn't a Christian. And so that's why I tell people like, like myself that are older and they have lived a life of sin, uh, don't 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 worry about coming to God late. You you haven't missed anything. You if you start now, you'll still be ahead of most of the Christians in church on Sunday. And I know that that can sound harsh, but that's the way that I that that I minister just the truth because I've seen a lot of people die who uh, who may have thought that they were okay, you know. And, uh, and I blame that on the church in large part and, uh, and people that like to go and do funerals and say that everybody's in a better place now when there's no evidence of that. I just, I don't understand that, you know. I don't understand telling people that while they're living if it's not true. I mean, at least show them the truth of the word and let them decide for themselves. You know, there's a scripture that says, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And in many cases, you do become the enemy of, of people and, and, uh, and parts of our culture by speaking the truth. But the truth is love, you know. Amen. Because anything apart from that is destructive at some point to God's people. And so why would you let people continue on if you can help them? So I say, obey God and leave the consequences to Him. That's what... Uh, 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 Dr. Stanley says, amen. amen. He did prepare for success, this blind Bartimaeus, by throwing away the cloak. You notice that? He threw away his cloak and headed towards Jesus. That means that he was done. He wasn't planning on going back to begging. That was his beggar's cloak that marked him as someone who probably had a license to beg or whatever, you know. But he wasn't going back to that. He had made up his mind. He had set his eyes on Jesus and the healing that Jesus uh, had in store for him. And he wasn't, he wasn't going to settle for anything less. And I really admire that man for that. People shunning him and, and the fact that he couldn't even see where he was going. He just heard the crowd and he pressed on in that direction <laughs> and, and hollered out. And sure enough, Jesus heard him and stopped him in his tracks. He stopped Jesus in his tracks, in other words. And Jesus sent for him. Been talking about different aspects of faith. How faith is the hand that reaches out and 
obtains the things provided by grace, by the atonement of our Lord. And I want to talk today as faith is as our our positive response to what God has provided by grace through Jesus Christ. It's something that seems very simple, but that's a very profound statement. Because I'm always trying to boil things down to the most simplistic terms to, to help us understand and to capture it. My wife always tells me, if you could show me a picture, you know, or paint a picture, an imagery in my mind, I got it. You know, it's a lot better than a thousand words, you know. So I like things like that, that faith is simply our positive response to what, to the grace of God. Grace is God's part, faith is our part. You see that? It's a relationship, just like a marriage. Our relationship with God and the benefit that we get from it through the grace that He's provided, that's already done. He, he's not forgiving anybody today. He's not healing anybody today. It's already done 2,000 years ago. Amen? And now it's on account for us and the way that we go and make withdrawals from that account, which will never be depleted, is by using the faith that he's given us. So it's important that we strengthen that faith and focus on that faith and learn to treat that faith as the servant that God has given to us to accomplish his will in our lives. Amen? Amen. And not let that servant rest until it's gone out and retrieved from the promises of God, the grace of God that he's provided for that particular need. Romans 5, 8. Let's see. Let me turn over there. Romans 5, 8. Says that, but God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see that? So he forgave us. He, 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 he did he forgave us our sins before there was ever a sin to forgive. And then look what it says though. Since therefore we have now been justified. Justified just as if I'd never sinned. By his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? It's this love of God that I'm, I'm trying to focus on. God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's saying, if while we were still his enemy, because for for. Great portions of our lives, we all were God's enemy. We were living in rebellion to him and his truth. And he still loved us. He had still died in advance to pay for all the sins that we were committing. He loved us then. And what this is saying, how much more now that you have received him with joy, accepted the gift of salvation and put all of your Trust and your hope for eternity in him. How much more now will God love you because you've done that? 
than he did when you were his enemy. It's this great love towards you from God that we really need you to have this positive response toward. The greatest act of faith is for you to really, really get it. To believe, to trust in, to depend upon the love that he has for you. Because he doesn't love anyone more than he loves you. He's got your picture in his wallet. He literally, without sin, allowed them to hang him on the cross, spit in his face, pull out his beard, beat him, put a crown of thorns on him, mock him and ridicule him, and crucify him, and gave up his life to take your place on death row because he loves you so much. It's important that we believe that because it'll cause us to love him more. We love him because he first loved us. And unless you have a revelation of his love for us, for you, and take it personally, you will never be able to love him like you want to. And you'll feel condemned and you'll feel bad. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Quit focusing on your love for him Focus on his love for you and it will cause your love for him to well up inside of you and to overflow to others. Amen. If we don't believe this love that he has for us, it will be harder to impossible for us to believe for all of the other good things that he has for us. You see the point? So the very first thing or two for us to believe first we have to believe that he loves us like no other that he's crazy about us adores us that he knew that he he died for all of our sins before we ever committed a sin so that way we don't have to keep every time we screw up to go back and say well i've done it now i went one too far and i know he's done with me now no he forgave that one before you were born, just like he forgave all the ones that you had committed up to the time you received him as your Lord and Savior. And he loves you anyway. Let me tell you, God is not trapped in time like we are. He created time. In the beginning, you see all of physics, all of these scientists are worried about trying to explain away God. Everything to do with physics is about time, space, and matter. And God took care of all those things in the first scripture of the Bible. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heavens, there's space, and the earth, there's matter. <laughs> God created these things. He's not confined by them. Here's all of... The, the time frame of, of the history of man. Right here. From this hand to this hand. God is out here looking at it. It's already taken place in, his, in the mind of God. So he's not limited by it. He loves us. He's always loved us. He chose you to be predestined to be his children before the beginning of time. He knew you when he knitted you together in your mother's womb. And so we don't know why he chose us. 
But he did. And you just need to get over yourself and believe it. <laughs> to say, I mean, if, if you have a child, you don't want your, your kid coming up to you every moment of every day saying, Daddy, I, you don't really love me, do you? I can't believe you love me. You know I did this. You don't love me. You can't love me. It's impossible that you love me, right? That would break your heart. <laughs> you don't care what they do. You hate that sin, but you love that child just like your father in heaven. Amen. <laughs> Psalm 92, verse 12. Psalm 92. Y'all enjoying this? Good. Thank you, Lord. The word is fun. God is fun. And I love it when he teaches us in a way that we can understand and, 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 and take hold of it and believe it and. And be stronger because of it. Amen? Amen. Psalm 92 verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Who are the righteous? Right. A righteousness that has been received by our good deeds, right? No. By faith. That's right. So when you believed... He credited you with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that something? When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Isn't that something? Why? Because of the precious blood of Jesus. You know, in that, in that, all the type and shadows of the Old Testament, when God looked down into that ark, in that ark were all the things that showed the rebellion of man, you know. They rebelled against God's leadership and, and Aaron's staff is in there which he caused to, to bloom and bud with almonds. The manna that they rejected and, and complained about is in a jar, you know, in there. The Ten Commandments which he gave and they and were broken. All the things that that showed man's rebellion against his holiness and his goodness are in that ark. And when he looked down upon it, that's what he saw. But now Jesus went into heaven. He said, don't touch me. I haven't gone to see my father yet. And that what he told Mary Magdalene, he still had to go up there and he had to, there's a, you know, the, the temple that they, that Solomon built, that those were just replicas of the real one in heaven. There's a real temple in heaven and Jesus walked in there and he put his blood on that ark. On that mercy seat. And now when God looks down, he can't see our rebellion anymore. He can't see our sin against him anymore. All he sees is the blood of Jesus. It's been atoned for, our sin has. And we thank God for it. So we are the righteous by faith. And God says here, the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Why would you call us a palm tree and a cedar of Lebanon in the same scripture? Because the, uh, the cedars are beautiful. A palm tree, which I don't know, I think my wife and I really love palm trees because it makes us think of the beach and <laughs> we love the ocean. But, but really, there's no comparison to the two. A uh, palm tree is kind of a tall, skinny thing. It doesn't offer a lot of shade and most of the types of palm trees don't really bear any fruit uh, to speak of. But 
There's something special about that palm tree. Something special about it that God is comparing it to the righteous who live by faith. And that's you. The palm tree, if, if you ever, I love trees and horticulture and planting stuff. We're always working out in the yard. If you take a, a tree and you mess with its bark, you're messing with the, the life of that tree. Because through the bark, the outer skin is what it, how it receives water and nutrients to that, and minerals to that tree. That's how it's fed. A palm tree is the only tree in the world that's not like that. It doesn't receive from the outer skin. It receives from the core, from the trunk. You can take and if you ring a tree, that means you cut the bark all the way around. That tree will die. You can do anything you want to the outer skin of a palm tree. Cut it up, beat it, weave it. (laughs) It ain't going to bother it. Because it receives from the core and the root runs really, really deep. That's why in the midst of very adverse conditions, no other trees will survive out in the middle of a desert, but a palm tree will flourish out there. Extreme heat, dry conditions, because that root can go hundreds of feet down into the ground and nothing on the outer skin of that tree is is hurt by the, the harsh environment or conditions. So that's how it is with a, the Christian, the righteous that live by faith. We're not, we're not governed by our flesh. They can do whatever they want to our flesh. But we're, we have reckoned ourselves dead with Christ. Somebody that's dead, you can kick them, beat them, spit on them. Anything you want, it's not going to hurt them because they're already dead. Well, that's how it really is with the true believer who does who walks not after the flesh but after the spirit, because we receive from our inner inner person, our inner man, our spirit, all of the things that provided. When they sat down at that well and his and his uh, and his. Jesus sat down and, the, and his disciples went into town to get something to eat. And they, they came back and they thought he'd found some food. And he said, no, I, I have food that you don't know anything about. He's talking about spiritual food. He's, he's fed by the spirit of God within him. Amen. You know, you can fast for, for two or three days. And you come to a point, if you're seeking God and you set yourself apart for God, that you'll be you'll you'll feel full as can be, especially praying in the in the spirit, and you'll burp just like that right there. I've seen it happen, and it's true, because you've tapped into uh, the supernatural, where our true life and true provision are, and God says people like that they're going to flourish in the midst of adversity. No matter what the storms of life bring. You have to understand. David. King David wrote this. This this scripture. This this psalm. And what he was talking about. He, he had. He had to realize that his kingdom. 
was very small compared to all the other nations of the world. He had a tiny little nation. It didn't look like much compared to all these others and they would prosper and they would do well. But he knew because of the Spirit of God that not only would his kingdom outlast all of those others around him, but they would prosper in the midst of adversity and flourish just like God says here, even when others would come and go. Psalm 27, I want to look at just one or two more and then we'll be done here. Psalm 27 is a great psalm and I think it would go along, right along with what we're talking about today. Because our, our positive response to God, our faith in God has to be steady and unwavering. We can't faint in our faith or give up or get weary. We have to be strengthened in our faith because if we believe that our faith is a servant provided to us to accomplish the things that God has for us or to go and get the things that God has provided for us, the healing, the prosperity, all of the things provided by grace. And we're not to let that servant rest until it's accomplished all that it's set out to do. Then how could we faint if we get in our own strength, human faith instead of God's faith, instead of the faith of Christ, the mind of Christ, which is in us. We have to tap into that. We have to be fed from that deep-rooted Spirit of God within us, just like that mighty palm tree. Amen? Let's just read Psalm 27. There's one scripture, verse 13, that I'm focusing on, but I'm going to start at the beginning. This is a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yes, I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe 
that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Praise God. I love that. I was just going to read the one scripture, but I love the whole psalm because it's powerful. And it shows how David focused on God and the spiritual truths. No matter what the situations and circumstances and things that rose up in the natural around him. He focused on God and that's how he kept his faith up and and stayed strong in belief. Knowing that God would deliver him from all his troubles. Because he loved him. That was the relationship that David had with the Lord. The Lord said, he's a man after my own heart, even though he committed all kind of bad sins. I mean, murder, adultery, all those things. And people see that and they go, how could that be? Because David was the one who would, like George was talking about earlier, when God corrected him, he got down off of his throne in front of all the people and repented right there. When the prophet came and told him, you're the one. Who did this terrible thing. He got down off his throne. And repented. Before God and man. But this psalm is beautiful to me. But it talks about how David never gave up. He never fainted. Or got weary in his faith. Because he trusted in God. And he would remind himself. Of all the goodness of God. And the things that God would do. And I want to remind everybody as Christians that we have options. This life can be without faith. Let's just say it that way. Without our positive response to God. Without the the faith of God that he has given us. This life would be very depressing. Amen. (laughs) Life without faith would be very depressing. But Christians have an unseen king. And kingdom who are awesome. And they're greater in power and pleasure than anything that we could ever imagine in this world. It has better rewards and better benefits than anything this world can offer us. If we focus only on this world, we're always going to end up disappointed. If we're looking to this world for our happiness or our peace... We will never have it for long. It will always be fleeting. Even the relationships in this life are never going to be everything that you hope that they would be. They'll leave you hurting and, and disillusioned if you put too much expectation on any aspect of this life. Our real hope has to be in God. And because of the hope that we have in God, we have to... Stay in faith regarding the things of God. Because if we focus on the kingdom of God and believe that, like it says in Matthew chapter 6, for God's kingdom to come and to be on earth as it is in heaven, then we have a lot to be hopeful about, a lot to be excited about. Remember, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if we want to be strong, we have to focus on the things of God, the spiritual unseen realm, 
the promises of God, the power and provision of God, instead of somehow the devil has gotten people tricked into focusing and keeping their attention on all the all his little trials and tribulations and the cares and, and the downfalls of this life. The problems of this life. And that's what the devil's goal is, is to keep you focused on those things. But as long as you're focusing on those things and rehearsing those things in your mind and in your speech, you're going to be giving glory to the devil when you should be speaking about your God. I tell people, don't even go and tell God about your troubles. I mean, I know we're going to tell him what's going on in our lives, but I'm telling you, as long as you're just telling God about your troubles, you're really, you're really glorifying your troubles. You're really just talking about your problems. You need to take and tell the devil about your God. Tell your problems about your God. Tell the mountains in your life about the promises of God regarding you. And you'll see a lot big, bigger results, a lot greater results. Because the Bible says to believe that we have the things that we pray for when we pray and we shall have them. Mark eleven twenty four. Speak to your mountains. People don't understand that. I tell them, you know, God wants you well. I hope so. That's not hope. Let me help you with that. I want you to believe it. And then you'll receive it. Oh, if I see it, then I'll believe it. No, he, he's not going to do it that way. He's not going to change and become like you. You have to agree with him. The sooner we agree with him, the better off we are and our life will begin to change immediately. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's Nehemiah 8.10. And we have to remember if we're not feeling strong, it's because we, we've lost our joy. And when I say we lost our joy, I'm just talking about in our soulish realm, in our mind, in our will, in our emotions, because the joy of the Lord is an abiding fruit of the Spirit. It's in there. If you're saved, you have to preach yourself happy, like Paul said. How do you do that? Well, instead of rehearsing the devil's victories, start rehearsing God's. Start remembering and re reciting all the things that God has done for you. Start looking around and thanking Him for everything, starting with your, your feet and your shoes all the way up to the lights on the ceiling and the roof over your head. I don't care if it's not the one you want or the shoes you want or the house you want. Thank Him for what you got. I remember when Tavana and I were so broke that we had to figure out how to spend $30 a week and dividing it up between gas and the box of crackers and a jar of peanut butter. And I went out and began cleaning out the garage, one side of it at first. Swept it, got everything, pushed all the boxes, made sure there was nothing in that space where a car was supposed to go. Amen. Amen. We gave away a bunch of car titles for Christmas. And you know what? We still didn't drive a good car for a year or two. But it takes time for that seed to come into harvest. And meanwhile, we just tended to it. Didn't let the weeds get in. And sure enough, there's a harvest. Even before we got the car, we didn't realize we could 
<laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> I want to say, I want to look at one more thing just to cap it off. Go over to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And I want to touch on a scripture that you all know and love. If I can find it. Isaiah chapter 40. Go down to the 28th verse. And I'm going to read through the 31st verse, which is the one I'm after. 28 through 31. Isaiah. Isaiah is right after Proverbs. I mean, Song of Solomon. Not far after Proverbs. Isaiah 40, starting at the 28th verse. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Praise be to God. You know... In this life, we've already talked about the, the natural life, the natural world that we live in. And if you put your faith or your hope in this world, the things of this world or the people of this world, you're going to be disappointed. No one, however, can stand alone in this life, can they? I know one of the, one of my mentors and uh, Andrew Womack's ministry, Dr. Barry Burns, he says, he says uh, in ministry, if you, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with a group. But, but longevity isn't a characteristic of them that do go along alone. And so nobody does it alone. We all need God. We need to live a life totally dependent upon Jesus, upon our Father in heaven, upon the Spirit of God. The key is waiting on the Lord. It's like it says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And so a lot of people try to understand this scripture. I think there's a deep understanding, you know, just sort of a comfort about it. But I don't think people really understand what that waiting means. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything. Then the, the Hebrew word that they use there, I, I wrote it down, means to, 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 to bind together, to collect so like you're waiting on somebody, like a waiter or whatever, but there's a figurative meaning also there that says to expect. A figurative meaning for the Hebrew word here for wait is to expect. And that's the word that they're, that's the meaning that they're talking about here. Is that as Christians, we need to look to the Lord in expectation of good. And that is our faith. Our positive response to what he has promised or provided through grace. 
So looking to the Lord in expectation of good from God. That's a confident expectation of good is, is Christian hope. So waiting on him is just looking to him with great expectation of good. Not bad. <laughs> so many people, I think they try to live their Christian lives just doing the best they can and to be holy as they can so that they don't have to look to God because they're afraid when they look to God, they're looking for punishment. That's not true. We need to be able to run boldly into the throne room of grace that we might obtain mercy and find favor in the time of need. That's the promise of God because of what Christ has done. So I thought that would bless you is that we all need God. We need to live a life committed to the spirit of God in partnership with him, walking in and after the spirit, not depending on God. I mean, not depending on the world or, or, or others in the world. That doesn't mean that we build up a wall so that nobody is allowed access to us and we're not going to let ourselves be heard anymore. That's not what God is calling for. He said, protect our heart because from it are the wellspring of life. But we, we protecting our heart by making sure that we don't hold bitterness or unforgiveness or anger or hatred in our heart. And we trust God with those things. Amen. Amen. The point is to seek God with all of our heart and be energized. He says here that they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. So the way to be energized, to be invigorated and vibrant in this life, no matter what the trials and the, the, the dry deserts that we go through, the times that seem like there are just no refreshing, there will come a time. It, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we know that there are always times of refreshing with God. So that's one of the things that keeps me going when I'm really going into biggest trials and struggles. I begin to get excited because the longer that thing endures, the quicker I know that that time of refreshing is coming. I can trust that because I trust God and I know that it's the way it is. He's never going to leave me or forsake me and he's never going to take me to the point where I can't bear it. He's always going to provide a way out. He's always going to provide times of refreshing. His promises are true. And now I'm just... Focusing and practicing, putting my faith to work and not allowing it to rest until it accomplishes everything that, that God and I have sent it out to do. Amen. So seek the Lord with all your heart. Be energized. Mount up with wings as eagles. And take some lessons from Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, who was all in. He threw away his, he went from beggar to believer. He wasn't going back. He threw all his options away. He didn't care about the negative speech of others or how they criticized him. He went forward and believed God and let the consequences of that be handled by God. And in his case, it worked out very good. Amen. From begging one day to being restored and whole and following Jesus to where he could learn to help others the next. That's a good place. Amen. Amen. 
All right. Father, thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for loving us and teaching us and growing us. Lord, we just ask that you begin to give us direction and guidance about what's next for us in this place, for Grace and Truth Church, how we can be a help to the community and to the world and grow closer and stronger in the will and ways of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.